American Toffee Podcast, your source for stateside views on Everton Football Club, hosted by Alex Johnson and James Boyman. Greetings, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome back to the American Toffee Podcast. James Boyman here, joined by Ryan Williams to discuss, unfortunately, Everton's first loss of the season to Southampton, a 2-0 loss at St. Mary's. Going into the match, Interestingly, this was the one-year anniversary of Southampton's infamous 9-0 loss at home to Leicester City. Um, Alex McCarthy, who started today for them, has started every Premier League game after being recalled following that match, and it was his 100th Premier League appearance. Of course, the notorious Danny Ings, who did not score today, has scored more goals versus Everton than any other side from Opta Joe. Southampton actually have a pretty good record against Everton recently. They obviously continued that. They've won five of their last seven now, six of their last eight home Premier League matches against us. But we did get the win over them at St. Mary's last season. A frustrating day. No question, Ryan. Let's start uh, 9 a.m. Eastern Standard Time. Lineup drops and nothing too shocking, but uh, Carlo kind of comes with what we expected in the pre-match episode. Yeah, the only difference was. We debated Andre or Sigurdsson. Thought it was fair to give Siggy a chance if the idea was to play direct. I actually was fairly encouraged by that. In theory, Gilfie can play the ball over the top. He's good at making those kind of killer balls, good through ball type player. And we figured Godfrey would be on the right, and he was, and Wobie got the start up left, uh, even though we knew that would be a tough matchup. And then Southampton, no surprises at all. Armstrong came into the fold because Walcott could not play and and we figured he would tuck inside a bit, you know, that they wouldn't attack much off the right. They did not. Uh, their setup was exactly what we said it would be. Uh, I mean, exactly what it would be. You know, Ings and Shea were kind of playing off each other tight up front. They would attack mostly through the combination of Bertrand and Redmond and Ward Prowse and Romeo would clog up the middle, be close, tight, tough to beat. And we knew Walker Peters would sit back with Armstrong tucked inside and win a lot of balls and run us ragged. And we hoped what we do is not turn the ball over much, try and attack them quickly off the counter. And um, we did not. I, I thought our setup was was very strange. I, I don't know what your thoughts were. I was a little surprised in particular how we positioned our our midfield. Yeah, it was it was an unusual, I mean, expected lineup. But even just seeing it on paper, I, I started to feel a little bit uneasy. I, on one hand, I felt confident. You know, you have Hamas and Awobi on either flank, and in theory, that should give us plenty of creative output going forward. Yep. But then you start to question: Well, do we have the the incisive threat to actually be able to create goal scoring opportunities, and do we have the personnel that can actually capitalize on those opportunities? Turns out those fears were were fairly warranted, as we saw a bizarre shape for Everton where Gilfie Sigurdsson, even though he's playing in the midfield, theoretically in that Andre kind of role, he actually ended up getting a lot further forward more often, kind of leaving us a little bit exposed. And we really, really tried to kind of force things down the left-hand side. I think that may have been due to the personnel, obviously Ben Godfrey making his full Premier League debut at right back out of position. 
And we know that Hamas, regardless, likes to play those switches, the switch of fields from right to left. But it ended up kind of just playing right into Southampton's hands. It did. And we, you know, we thought that that left side would be tough to break down. It, it was. I think the biggest problem there was it's one thing for Dean and Awobi not to have played together too often. They both turned the ball over too often, I'd say, uh, even though they were a little bit dangerous, at least in the first 20 minutes. The problem therein was there was no one behind them to kind of thwart and stop the quick counter. You know, they want to directly turn the ball and move it forward as fast as possible to their two strikers. And uh, it happened too often uh, early. Well, let's get into it and how it played out because, you know, then you saw how quickly they got to the left side. And I thought DeCorey was pushed way up higher as well. And it really cost us. So in the beginning, the game was way too open. They had some possession early. But we did have some decent attacking forays. Uh, you know, in the ninth, Godfrey had kind of that cross about his only foray forward that was effective. He got all the way through to Awobi. And, uh, you know, he, I thought, played a very good ball to Dom. Couldn't quite get on it. And I was thinking, all right, that's a nice script. You know, if we can get Alex in advanced positions, he can throw square balls over to either Dom going for the net or James maybe sitting at the 18 or the 12. Uh, we're in business. Um, but sure enough, bang, you know, they countered back soon. Redmond missed a sitter from Bertrand yeah. in the 11th. Uh, I mean, they this is basically when they realized, wow, you know, the right side of Everton has no support. Godfrey was completely isolated. Decore was pushed way high. And, and that's fine if you're going to commit fully to kind of a counterpress when we turn the ball over. But we were not doing that. And, and you could saw in front of James, there was no threat whatsoever wide. So he just kept tucking in. No one was advancing forward. So... I mean, Redmond could basically pitch up as high as he wanted, and you just saw it. So, so now that being said, you know, Awobi had a cut in, a shot that got deflected. But then in the 19th or in the 18th minute, you saw a lovely combination play where Alan, Alan kind of, Alan took the ball deep, passed it, flicked it down the middle. Awobi one touch to Hamas. Hamas sends it over to Gilfie, and he pretty unlucky. The ball kind of popped up on him, hits the post with the wicked shot. And, you know, you got to wonder if that goes in, do things change? I don't know. But the one thing I kept thinking at that point was that the way to play against these guys is to sit back more and be direct, playing the ball over the top and dealing with their line and, and get Dom running onto balls. Things were just too wide open at that point. And, and I mean, you saw what happened. Sure enough, the next, the next 10 minutes were basically disastrous for us. Yeah, completely. And, and to the first, the first 20 minutes, it was wide open, as you said, but I thought it was a little more even. I thought we, you know, we created some chances. Yeah. We definitely let them penetrate our defense far too easily. And they, they could have scored a couple within the first 20. But after that Gilfie Sigurdsson shot, and as you said, Ryan, I do think that was kind of a potential game changing moment. After that shot, it all, the wheels started to fall off. I think Southampton really grew in confidence and in, you know, 20 minutes on, we looked completely on the back foot. Southampton, it was almost inevitable that they would score. And as expected in the 27th on a, I guess, pretty standard tactical play where Southampton just kind of does a little switch. We don't stay with the man. James Ward-Prowse ends up in the box and, and slots one home and it's one nil. Or we and, stay with the man, really. I, I, I don't yeah. you know. Well, we'll be stayed with the man. Why would Alex not be higher than Gilfie on that play? And Gilfie looked back like he wanted to switch. I, I, I don't. I, that right there was 
typical of the whole afternoon. I don't understand what sort of shape it would be where Gilfi was not sitting back and, and looking back on it. You kind of wonder if maybe playing a deeper role at that point would have been better. And God, it was just a calamity of errors there. You know, Alon misses the ball. Dean gets wrong sided. It wasn't a great angle shot. He did hit it hard. Maybe Pick could have done better. But, it, you know, in fact, in many ways, that was almost atypical because everything else then just came down the left side. You know what I mean? Right, right. And, and exactly. So that was, that was, of course, down, down the right hand side. But then Southampton just, they recognized that, look, this kid Godfrey, he's like a deer in the headlights and he tried his best, but he's just, he's just not a right back. And he, it really showed and he was exposed. And, Teams have have been exploiting our right hand side regularly this season. That's that's nothing new, and that's when we have Seamus Coleman in there or John Joe Kenny. So it's when you have a third choice guy playing out of position, it's even more of a no brainer to continue to pursue that option. And you know he showed good recovery pace. He got back a couple of times well, but just in the one on one defending situations with the ball at his feet, you can tell he's not comfortable going forward. He he's not sure exactly when to get forward and or to track back and he's hesitant on the ball wide where you know he's he a couple of times he just sat on the ball for a second too long and was dispossessed so of course after that goal from james ward prowse we're thinking well what kind of response can this everton everton team show because so far this season the response after conceding has been excellent i think we've answered almost every single goal that we've conceded with one shortly thereafter not the case this match, unfortunately, not at all. <laughs> no, it was a it was a pretty decent little Ings cross, and Sigurdsson tries to get ahead on it. Why Sigurdsson's even in that position as oh. a, theoretically a, a midfielder that's supposed to be getting forward? All of a sudden, he's playing like a center back. It goes over his head, and it's two 0 Yeah, that was brutal. Um, I, I don't know why Luca Dean was all the way over again. It was a break. You know, they were killing us on the break. Nothing surprisingly. We knew that they would play that way, getting it out to the left. And yeah, Godfrey was a deer in the headlights, but he had no support. He was on an island. And we saw when we signed him, we knew we were getting a player who's still a bit raw, a very good athlete, um, still struggles a little bit with 1v1 defending, but we thought all the natural attributes would be there to be a top center back potentially if he grew but it's like mason holgate was a couple years ago he still would make some rash plays and in this case he's in an unfamiliar position you know he wasn't really closing down very aggressively on bertrand but in his defense of course you're not going to do that if you don't have proper cover and he didn't um the goal was typical of that they even scored in the 39th but it was off sides uh but again they do they did exactly what we they are who they who we thought they were uh, and we, and exactly. we let him off the hook. I got a funny story about that offline, but um, <laughs> yeah, it's a good one. Uh, <laughs> a very specific one. It was frustrating, you know, and it just kept happening. But I, I think one thing that's really important to note that I couldn't help but thinking is we had a communication deficiency there. And I don't know yeah. if it's a language barrier be between Alon and Corey and, and Godfrey, but it seemed like Carlo or someone wanted Decore pushed up. And maybe that was because Hamas was so far tucked in. So I, I don't know what happened and why there was no reshuffling. It seemed when Alon would go out to help him, what would happen? The ball would get sent across and, you know, the golden square, or, you know, the top of the 18 was open. Right. It was just disastrous. There was just, it was disappointing that we could not on the field make any adjustments whatsoever, but I, I don't know what we expected them to do to us because it all seemed very predictable to me. And unfortunately, our left side started fading away. 
as excited as I was about Alex Awobi doing some damage early, he's definitely faded. Turned the ball over way too much. He, he just he kept coming back deeper too, and that didn't help because that is what we that was the big concern we thought we'd have with him. No one to run from behind on the left side, and I, I think we were almost fortunate to get to halftime with it only being two nil. Yeah, I, I totally agree, and I think look, Alex Awobi was definitely the the scapegoat for the first half failings, but I think it was a again in this match as a whole was kind of just a collective squad failing to execute on a game plan. You know, we talked about it. it. It was pretty straightforward. We needed to play quick. We needed to play over the top. And after conceding, we kind of just shrunk into our shell. And Alex Awobi, he didn't play well first half. And he did obviously get yanked at the break for Bernard. But the problem with Alex Awobi is generally he's a player who who can be very direct in the final third. But when he doesn't receive it in the final third, he's he just he lacks the confidence, I think, to take players on or or even just like take the ball up the sideline. He seems like he always wants to cut back. He always wants to try to do a little bit of skill to to free himself. And instead of just playing it simple, I think he just made things too complicated for himself time and time again. And clearly Carlo felt that he he wasn't going to be able to offer the team anything. So goes with Bernard, theoretically maybe a little quicker, a little more capable with the ball in in different areas of the pitch and so the second half i mean it's rare to see a halftime substitution but i think it was completely warranted in this case i don't think it helped a lot though unfortunately i I, I, in fact i couldn't exactly figure out what they were doing at first i thought bernard was playing kind of in the role he was playing in the cup and maybe pushing sigurdsson up I, i would have subbed sigurdsson off frankly because i think the problem was he was pushed too high and knowing we were chasing the game I would have liked to see Bernard in there kind of playing the role he did in the cup matches where he was in the half space on the left, but he was deeper. You know what I mean? Receiving the ball and creating from the back and really dictating the match. He put in a shift, though, no question about it. He contributed on defense. He took care of the ball. He probably had our one most dangerous play. But, you know, again, right after the half, the same thing happened. They started attacking down their left, our right. Godfrey may have had a foul in the box. I mean, it was a bit of a dive, but. Um, and then, you know, sure enough, in the 58th, I, I thought this was a much better sub to me. Um, yeah. Gordon and Delph came in for DeCorey and Gilfi. I thought subbing DeCorey didn't make a whole lot of sense, but somehow maybe Carlo felt like he couldn't adjust with him out there. I, I, I don't I don't know. Um, kind of makes you wonder maybe Fabian Delph should have started the match. Uh, we showed a, li- a little bit more balance, though. A couple times Gordon switched with James and pushed up on the right himself. You know, I again, you know, they almost scored again off the left side, again off a break when Armstrong fired one across from Danny Ings. And yeah, we may have settled down a little bit. And then in the 72nd, uh, pretty much our worst nightmare today happened. And Luca Dean gets sent off for a red card. Um, I, I'm curious to, to, you know, after all the discussion we had on the last preview match and the Derby fallout, we, we got into a lot of the serious foul play versus violent conduct. He's not really making a play on the ball. It seemed pretty accidental to me. Is that violent conduct? Should he have been sent off? Curious what you think. No, and I think the the recurring theme amongst Evertonians was that that was a, a ridiculous sending off, a ridiculous red card, and, and I'm inclined to agree. If you watch the replay, the contact itself in isolation is pretty bad. Like that could have been a serious injury. Oh yeah. Um, no question about it. He really like pins his his ankle in a really awkward position. But 
it's completely incidental and he makes the he kind of clips him initially and then walker peters gets away from him and then dean's running behind him hands up just trying to to, to stay close to his man knowing that he's essentially beaten at that point and in, in a natural stride he catches him and pins his leg to the ground and it, I, I initially thought okay that's that's probably a yellow that's reasonable that probably he wasn't trying to make a play on the ball, but he also wasn't trying to foul him. I don't think so to go straight red shocked me. I was shocked and I don't know if it was reviewed. There seems to be some debate as to whether it was actually reviewed by VAR. It seems like it wasn't, but Ancelotti after the match called it a joke and said that we'll appeal. I'm inclined to think that we will probably win that appeal because it seemed like kind of a knee jerk reaction from Kevin friend. I don't know what you want him to. It, he raised his hand up. It's funny. It almost seemed like where he thought he was going to get him, and he kind of stopped to put his hand up. Is not when he touched him. It was right. like the second stride with his right foot too. And and let me tell you another thing that's important is he's a lefty. Most of the time when he goes in for a tackle, we've seen him play enough. It's with his left foot. So I'm pretty sure he got him with his. You know, Luca got him with his right foot. So I, either he has the most incredible dexterity with his off foot. Or is it a complete accident? I got to believe it's a complete accident. Have we ever really seen him go in and do something like that? I, I, I haven't. I hope it gets overturned because, wow, I, I do not want to picture us going into anything, you know, dealing with that. I, I think really the game after that point, Hamez pulling up limp. I mean, Alon yeah. looked maybe there was something wrong with him. He had a really nice shot block in the, in, around just after I think the red. So maybe that was a concern. So I, I kind of write off the last 15 minutes really looking back on it too, you know, in terms of player performances, who do we think really got the good rating today? Anyone? Bueller. 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 I, I, no one really jumped to mind. No, I think you can make an argument maybe for, you can make an argument maybe for, I mean, the center backs, Mina and Keen were okay, but again, not a clean sheet. So, and yeah. I, I thought Michael Keen at the start was okay, but again, like it, not particularly influential or noteworthy. I no. think it was just kind of a, a, there were individual moments that were good, but even those individuals who had those moments had far more subpar, downright bad plays. I think it's just a, a one that you kind of have to chalk up to. I don't know if it's malaise, fatigue, but it's not like we were going to go undefeated. And I think this is one of those matches where it's a collective failure of the squad to execute. And you can't really point fingers at any individual because everyone around them, like even if Alex Wobi had made more effective, incisive passes, Dominic Calvert-Lewin was very isolated. None of the midfield really looked to be able to get the ball forward. So kind of just all of the lines, all of the crispness, all of the fluidity that we saw from Everton at the start of the season kind of just vanished in a quick flash. And and you can chalk a lot of that up, I think, to just personnel, right? If Seamus Coleman's in that match and Richarlison's in that match, we're talking a, a very different game overall, I think. And that that just shows, like, I mean, we've talked about it at length. We have decent depth, but that first 11 that's played regularly for us in the Premier League is going to be the team that drives most of our success. And if those guys go down, we can be in a lot of trouble. Yeah, we have some depth, but 
when we're injured as well, you know, right. we're missing Holgate. He's kind of important and could probably a better a better player in terms of getting up the pitch, I think, than Godfrey. A little more comfortable playing right back. He's played right back more recently. Right. He's a loss, too, that we kind of forget about. I couldn't help but think that J.P. Bameen would have been very nice to have sitting deeper. Maybe it would have taken care of the ball better. I, I, there are so many different combos. There were also some players that did not play particularly well. We, we've talked about Godfrey. Maybe it wasn't the best situation for him, but you've, I mean, look, if you're going to call out some other people, you got to call him out too. He was poor. Um, he struggled. Yeah. He was afraid to get beat and got beat. Didn't really stop any crosses. Gilfie, I thought, was a real problem. Uh, again, it's hard for me to throw him or DeCorey under the bus if it was a tactical game plan for them to kind of stack on top of the players in front of them, but they just were easily bypassed. And if they were supposed to stack on top and try and counterpress, well, they didn't do that either because Southampton right. had no problem getting their counterpress going. Luca played probably a little bit, maybe a Wobi in the lack of familiarity, but he definitely played one of the worst matches um, he's played in a while. The red was careless. I thought still it was certainly unnecessary. I mean, yeah, I, I, you didn't need to be right on him. And we knew they weren't going to attack much on the right side. I mean, Armstrong basically was the center mid most of the game arriving late. And he didn't really step into that gap. But I, I think a lot of this was tactical kind of running against the wall. Any any other players that stood out for you in particular? No, but but I think you make a good point and to kind of connect the dots a little bit. I mean, you mentioned the possibility of someone like Fabian Delph starting. What should he have started? And you can make that argument, but I also to to your point, like I think a lot of it was tactical. Like we should not have allowed DeCorey and Sigurdsson to overextend themselves so far forward because it left us so open. Now we did need to attack them clinically with pace and being be direct, but I don't think the the positioning of the players necessarily obviously it didn't it didn't facilitate that type of play anyway so if you're not going to allow those players to get involved in that middle of the pitch anyway then it's better to have them back being able to link up play and, and provide a little bit of defensive cover but beyond the four that you mentioned um i thought that james no no disrespect he's our talisman he's going to be so important for the rest of the season, but he just wasn't totally at it today. I wonder if it is actually interesting. We didn't even talk about it. The injury that he supposedly sustained, the hematoma he received from Virgil van Dyke, he was, I guess, questionable. All of a sudden he's starting. I wonder how serious that was, how much of that was an Ancelotti sort of press tactic to get some of the spotlight off of the team following the ongoing ridiculousness regarding van Dyke. Um, but, but he just, he, I think they targeted him and I think he fell victim of trying to do a little bit too much at times. He really, really overplayed that long cross with his left foot switching fields. Um, and he was dispossessed a few times, a little bit too isolated. So have to give him a shout as well. Calvert Lewin, I won't say he played badly. I, I will say we didn't do nearly a good enough job of getting him involved in the play. I think this was probably his least amount of touches he's had all season. Only one real notable scoring chance. And for a player who in his Everton career so far has been a focal point in a lot of our buildup this season, that has not been his, his uh, mandate. His, his goal has been to get in the box, get in the six yard box, be available for crosses, be available for, for 
things coming his way and to tap them in. And there was just very little service coming his way today. So those would be the two uh, in addition to the ones that, that you shouted out. You could make an argument for Allen, but I think his work rate, even though the end product wasn't great, he still put himself about maybe again, put himself a little too far forward and left our back line a little exposed. But yeah, it, you could say pretty much anyone, I think. I think that's a good segue into kind of thinking about what we talked about on the last pod. It's not always that we do a match preview, but I think we were pretty spot on. Um, so walking back through the uh, keys to the match, I know one of our big takeaways were, you know, when they turn it over, they are vulnerable. Spurs, that's how they cut them apart. Chelsea as well. The, those center backs are exploitable in space. We, we didn't do that at all. Um, key matchup was Hamez versus Bertrand Redman and Dom versus the two center backs. Dom should be able to run these guys ragged and get behind them. Did we see that once? No, no, zero, no. Time. zero. What to look for? I'll go over the top with second balls too. win second balls. Did I mean, we want like no second balls yeah. at all today, which is very big problem when you have both of your center mids that are in theory flanking Alon playing high. I mean, the whole point of doing that perhaps right. was to put pressure on them. And our keys to victory, I think we had three. You know, we talked about the long balls, Hamez being kind of a trigger guy and playing fast and direct. Yeah, Benji when Stanley nailed it on Twitter, basically. The right-hand side, Godfrey not being a right back and a lack of positional awareness of when to overlap did not create space for the likes of Hamez. So that we were isolated over there. There was nothing in front of him to play. So they look, teams are going to know what we're doing now. It's been pretty obvious at this point. So we're going to have to mix it up a little bit. Our second key was Pickford. Um, maybe could have done better on the word Prowse, but I thought he was okay. I don't think he was a reason really why we lost. But I think the third key for us was really important. Um, Alain Decore, we, we said, stuff their quick counterattacks and direct play off of turnovers. Just hit them right back. And I think Josh Barber, our mighty cryptes, uh, nailed it. Uh, he said, your match preview mentioned that we shouldn't attempt to play through their midfield because if we lose the ball, they counter directly. We did exactly that, and it cost us big. Would have been nice to see different tactics tailored to the opponent. So maybe we did not intend to do that. We tried to play it around to the left, um, but there was nothing around to the right. So obviously they shaded people over there, and and you saw, especially when Dean and Awobi lost the ball, what probably combined six or seven times together. Bang, it was through the middle, didn't have the middle. They went right out left. A couple other ones in here too, Hamez. We've got Garrett Post. I like Garrett. He's a pretty, pretty insightful tactical guy. Midfield. And he said, I mean, this I think is the one that nails this exactly my takeaway. My observation was that since Gilfie and Decore were both on, they were naturally both pushed very high, which left Allen very exposed. It was way too easy for Southampton to play through the lines as shown in the second goal. Yeah, there was a massive gap between our midfield ultimately and, and the back line. Um, Toffee Penguin, same thing. Allen needs to stay put. Let others do the attacking work. Same thing. And then the numbers. You want to go yes. through these or do you want me? Because <laughs> they're not let's, good. Let's chat numbers. So we talked about the fact that Southampton turned the ball over more than any other side in the league. Today, 88% com pass completion rate haven't been that. They haven't been over 77% yet this year. They normally get a lot of passes blocked. Again, dis get dispossessed often. We just did not pressure them to the extent that was needed to make those things happen today. And John Blaine, friend of the show, uh, 
tweeted at us and said, with Hamas and Awobi, but no Richie, we lacked pressing from the front and isolated Dominic Calvert-Lewin, which we've kind of alluded to. And it's true, like Richarlison's work rate on both sides of the ball is exemplary and, and Hamas pops up in spots and no one's going to say he doesn't work hard, but he's the infamous zero sprints graphic will, will haunt him <laughs> um, where he he's just not inclined to track back as often and neither is Awobi. They're both guys that want to be ready to receive the ball and go the opposite direction, not necessarily cover. And I think that was, at least on the right-hand side, part of Godfrey's problem was he was just so isolated. So we had 14 bad touches and 10 dispossessions versus Southampton having only seven, zero through balls. I mean, that's as strong of an indictment as you can have. One offsides off of a really kind of naive try, oh, little give and go that? off of the corner. Oh my that God. That made no sense. And then talking about isolated Dom, he had 18, touch, 18 touches. That's not going to do it for the guy that you rely on in theory with this lineup to score almost all of your goals. It says it all. I, I think it, it spoke exactly to what we thought we might do and what we ended up doing, uh, and it wasn't pretty. I think I'd be remiss, though, to put things in perspective. We're still top of the table. Connor on our Discord server, who's an active member there, I, I think probably had a nice attitude about it, and it's worth yeah. mentioning. His quote was, we don't need to overreact. You know, We just saw there's still some work to do with the squad. Uh, we got the worst part fixed in the window. But we have work to do in attack. And I think in some other areas, too, more so because of injury. I, I think yeah. we can look towards depth at center back now with one injured, but we've got some of that. We, we maybe were a little bit light in terms of quality at right back to begin with, even though Seamus has done very well. And with our top two right backs hurt, well, that's what happens. Um, arguably our best player in Richarlison out. Yeah, I mean, we were a depleted side, and and it and it showed today. I, I just was disappointed with the midfield. I don't know any last parting words then on on the match itself before we get into something actually positive. <laughs> we do have some positive news to wrap things up, but for this, I mean, I was frustrated by the match, particularly the first half, no question. But I'm also not going to whine and moan because if you had told me that Everton would be top of the table after six matches now, I would have bitten your hand off. I would have been over the moon. And we were never going to go undefeated. We were always going to slip up at one point or another. And I think the reasons we slipped up today can be chalked up to things that I think we're very readily capable of improving and working on. And it's not some you know, uh, fatal flaw in the squad that's going to continue to bite us. I think injuries... There's no getting around it. That's going to be an issue we'll, we'll have to battle, but everyone else does too. And actually, uh, Jeff on Joff on Twitter made a good point with like Leicester has Indeedy out. Liverpool have Van Dyke out now. Every squad is going to face these injuries. City without Aguero. All of these teams. Wait, 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 wait. Hold up, hold up, hold up. Did any of those teams threaten to take legal action or just one? <laughs> Just I'm one. just curious. Just right, okay, okay. I just wasn't just sure if we all supposed to do that. All right. I just, I'm just asking. I was. It wasn't against any particular side or you know any bias or anything. I have. You know, <laughs> it's also worth mentioning that Southampton were really good. Uh, their passing yes, was yes. good. They Thank were you. very composed on the ball. Uh, they have shown not to be so far this year. But they, as we also said, they've been in good form. You know, they. I think they drew their last match against Chelsea. Won their second, be the two before that, and. They can go on these streaks, so they're very good. Uh, one thing that they have not experienced, though, are injuries. 
So yes. in all seriousness, what happens if Ings goes down? Right. That's a thought. You know, right. What happens if Bertrand or Redmond goes down? Walker Peters in particular. What happens if he goes down? Because who the heck's going to stop an attack on, on the right? Those are those are big things. Uh, and it's a lot easier, too, to play when you've all played the same lineup now several weeks in a row, with the exception of Walcott being in there, but they had played with Armstrong before he got there. That's a huge advantage, especially if you're playing this 4-4-2 and pressuring and knowing when to trigger and, and knowing how to right. play together and where people are going to be on the pitch. So we should probably give a little more credit to Southampton than, than maybe we have, but it, it, it's also hard to look at it and say, wow, we did not play our best today. Yeah, it, and just as like a parting thought, just holistically, the entire Premier League this season has been absolutely wild in terms of results. And you've got arguably more parity this season than any season that maybe I can remember, or at least in recent memory. You've got Aston Villa tearing it up. Leeds look an unbelievable outfit. There's only a couple sides that I think are really struggling, and like Sheffield, Fulham look pretty poor. But Southampton are not one of those sides. There's a lot of really good sides that maybe in years past we would have said, okay, these are the gimme games, the games we really need to get three points. Those games are few and far between this season because there's a lot of talent in the Premier League. A lot of teams have done really good business over the summer. So we really need to bring our best to every single match. And we just didn't today. And Southampton, as you said, Ryan, they were good. They played quickly. They played direct. They were excellent with the ball under pressure where we weren't. And we talked about this team last season struggled playing under pressure. We did that today and it bit us in the butt. Hopefully things improve going forward, but that's my parting thought is, you know, it's going to be a long, long season. We're going to drop points against teams we may have expected to beat, but there's a lot of quality in those sides. So we got to kind of just take it as it comes. We're certainly not winning the league this season. Sorry to break it to you guys. You may have gotten your hopes up. But it could happen. Not quite there yet. It, it happened. Lester did it. You're right. You're right. If we can get everyone healthy and they all, every <laughs> of our first 11 players plays 30, 36 games, then we're good to go. But let's move on, Ryan. We've got some uplifting news. This is a little out of date because we were supposed to mention it on our uh, Derby post-match, but with all, we'll, we'll get to it now, and I think it's a great story that should be highlighted. Yeah, we saw uh, some stuff out there on social media that Everton Tampa, the Tampa supporters group down there, um, got together with the local Liverpool supporters club. Uh, again, this was pre-legal action, so things were very good <laughs> together, apparently. In Tampa, St. Pete, uh, I've spent a lot of time down there, so I, I'm a little bit familiar where they were talking about things. But it was cool. It was a combination of the Tampa St. Pete group as well. Um, uh, the, they had two Liverpool supporter clubs as well as the Everton one. And apparently they wanted to do something different for the Derby. So rather than you know drop the gloves and put on brass knuckles and beat the daylights out of each other, um, they just thought it was a good reflection to do community outreach. And... Um, so what they did is they set up the Derby Day food drive with the local Metropolitan Ministries. Uh, they did it about a week before the game, and their goal was, uh, in terms of pounds of food donated, was just 100 pounds. And the week leading up to the game, they raised 265 pounds on virtual donations and another 300 pounds in person on game day. Uh, I think that's, that's really amazing. I think that's a lot of what it's about. You know, one of the things that we talk a lot about on the Discord as well as on the podcast is translating some of those core values. Um, Everton in the community, obviously, being a big part of that, translating that to 
our practices and the way we act here in America. And I think this is this is a really nice example. Apparently, the the, the Bay Cannon Brewery got to give them a shout because I think they were serving breakfast for everyone who attended. Um, they had around thirty people there, and and I think what's really interesting is that they're planning on something similar for the reverse fixture and. And as we get closer to that date, we'll uh, make sure we relay that information out there and uh, maybe we can get some more virtual donations and even top that combined almost 600 pounds of food. That would be pretty amazing. We know right now times are not not the greatest for certain people, uh, especially in certain areas. So uh, hats off to the Tampa Evertonians. Uh, job well done. Uh, it's just a really positive thing, too. And this is the stuff we love to talk about. And the more of that, I know it's happening a lot of different places elsewhere too, but don't be afraid to hit us up on Twitter and let us know what's going on. We'd love to publicize more of that. We plan on talking a lot more about what different communities and clubs uh, Evertonians are doing across the states. We have a really nice community. Uh, It's kind of all coming together right now. And yeah, the more we can talk about this stuff and get the word out on Everton itself, the better. Wholeheartedly agree. A Fantastic job done by the Everton Tampa guys and all involved, you know, those sorts of events are never easy to plan and you're always kind of unsure exactly what the turnout's going to look like. So to see such a robust response and a great return to provide food to those in need is, is a great effort. And as you said, Ryan, right in line with the core Everton values that are so integral to the club and its identity. So fantastic job to all involved yet again. And yeah, if you if you guys have stuff going on, give us a shout. Let us know if you want any uh, retweets on Twitter. You want us to give you a shout out on the show. We'd love to have some people on to talk about it, even on the show from time to time. So don't be afraid to reach out. Otherwise, Ryan, any parting thoughts, any last words before we go off into the sunset? I think next week is a better matchup for us. I think especially with some of our limitations in personnel and, and some of the aerial stuff they like to do, I think we'll be better poised to deal with it. I think finding out whether Lucas Dean gets suspended or not will be interesting. That will definitely affect what we're trying to do. But as Connor said, let's not panic. We're still top of the table. We're going to have a hiccup. Southampton's playing well. They were a tough side. And uh, there's no reason we, we can't get our stuff together. And Carlo has been known to tinker a bit and be flexible and adaptable as needed. And he's left his mark on this team so far early. And I think all of us beginning the season would have been perfectly content knowing that we're sitting where we are right now. Very well said, Ryan. I'm going to be a little more succinct and just say, hey, we didn't lose 7-2, folks. So <laughs> could have been worse. Hey, Ajax won 13 nil. Yeah. Exactly. So it could have been a lot worse. Amen to that. All right, folks, stay tuned for our next episode. As always, appreciate you listening. If you're listening, give us a rating on your favorite podcast platform of choice. Follow us on socials, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, and join our Discord, invite.gg slash ATP. We'll be with you guys next time. Until then, up the toffees. Thanks for tuning in to the American Toffee Podcast. Come join our Discord community at invite.gg ATP and follow us on Twitter and Facebook at USA Toffee Pod.